welcome to the show. I'm Suki Stewart from Playfield, a startup helping organizations to enable everyone to rediscover their creativity through playful wonder and serendipity. And I'm Lucy Taylor from Make Work Play, an organization on a mission to use the power of play to unlock potential and possibility. Together, we are Why Play Works, the podcast that speaks to people who are radically reshaping work as play. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Nicole McDonnell, who brings 25 years of experience playing in the world of brand and marketing. From 2008, Nicole was at Ella's Kitchen in a variety of board-level roles, including marketing director, head at Ellisness, and global brand director, and was instrumental in growing it into a multi-million pound international business. Prior to that, Nicole worked in a number of marketing communication agencies in London, putting her playful stamp across a lot of familiar household food and drink brands, including Sainsbury's supermarkets. Nicole's experience spans a variety of sectors, including telecommunications, clothing, and entertainment brands. Nicole is also co-founder of Treasure Time, an online course offering guided playtime session to support parent-child connection for good mental health for the whole family. Treasure Time enables parents to be present and to be able to play for themselves as well, driving connected, happy relationships and families through the power of play. Today, Nicole is a consultant and strategic advisor for many startup and SME businesses in their growing up journey using the power of play. Over the course of our lovely conversation, we discuss some of the amazing results Nicole has helped organizations achieve by bringing a child's lens to the workplace, from using your imagination, getting yourself noticed, and experimenting with super simple exercises to encourage creativity and connection. Perfect to try in your next meeting or workshop. So Nicole, welcome to the show. It's so lovely to have you here. Thank you so much for inviting me and having me on. I am really happy to be here. So your work is all around looking at organisations through the eyes of how children view the world. And I know your amazing track record shows that by doing things from their perspective, we can really add so much value to working environments. And you've said in our conversations before that play for you is really about making the effort to change the way that we behave and relate with each other not just about children or children's brands or the toy space, but actually a really globally relevant way of being in our communities, which sounds amazing. And I can't wait to hear more about your thoughts, but perhaps you could start with a little, a little opener, which is what does the word play mean to you? Good question. Good question. I, I think play used to be synonymous with just having fun, basically. I've always been a really naturally playful person. I've loved having fun. It's been one of like my six core values growing up that I've lived by. So I make a lot of my decisions on whether fun is going to feature really highly in it. And if it does, then it, you know, why not, why not give this a go? So it's helped, it's helped me make decisions and, and shape career and workspace. But then it became a little bit more than that. Uh, when I worked as a chair trustee at Clear Sky Children's Charity. So this is a charity based in Oxfordshire, founded by Sophia Giblin. She's a qualified play therapist, and uh, she's got a wonderful story. And she shared with me during, during our experience of working together the definition of play, much more about being engaging in saying any activity, really, 
but for pure enjoyment. The whole idea of it just being recreational, there wasn't this, you know, serious output or like a, a purpose to play. So the whole point of play is to have no point, um, really. And at first, I, I kind of couldn't help sort of associating it, I suppose, with, with a bit of a goal because we, you know, in the corporate world, that's what we like to do. And e- even when I played with my children, you know, and we've we put cars together, I, I can't, I th- I'm sure many people would relate to this, where you, you think you're playing with your child, but actually you're gripping cars by color or you're like, mm-hmm encountering them and we we see it as a teaching moment <laughs> and an opportunity to teach when actually the magic of that moment is letting your child re- lead that play and being in the moment so you can just experience the joy of it and yeah that that is the magic of playing together so the definition through working with clear sky and seeing the the great work that play therapists do it helped me realize that play was actually a vehicle for connection. It wasn't just about fun. It wasn't, it wasn't that frivolous at all. It was actually about a really, really deep connection through being in that moment and being really aware of what was going on in that moment. So the more I kind of started to approach play at home and, and at work, but focusing first at home with my, my own children, it was it was a way to learn that play actually can be the vehicle to bring in greater contentment, a more relaxed environment, much sort of happier, stress levels are much lower, <laughs> and more helpful behaviors. Because when we feel connected, seen and heard, and we feel that love and acceptance within our community or our family in this instance, you know, it transcends into better communication and better behaviors. So that can be with yourself, that can be within a family, but also completely transferable to the place. I don't, I don't see the environment as, as different players play. It just happens to be in different settings. Mm. So are totally transferable. Absolutely. And what do you think, if you're saying that, kind of being playful has been probably a thread throughout your entire life. And I love the fact that you say it's one of your kind of key decision-making factors. I definitely want to hear more about that. But what would be your earliest memory of play to go down the memory lane? Oh, yeah. So earliest memory is, there's there's so many memories that I've got of play. And maybe some of them are earlier than this one. But the one I remember most vividly and so young, so probably from the ages of five to nine, was in my bedroom and it was with my dressing table of often. <laughs> and I can picture it so clearly. It had a really big mirror, which was a swivel mirror, and it had a, a nice wet, big white surface. It was curved and soft edges and Paddington bear curtains. Oh my goodness. Wow. So shitty. It was so she. I was, and I definitely had it for far too long. I felt I was slightly embarrassed at one point. Still had my pad, <laughs> but the fond memory was that to me it was like so much more than a dressing table because I got to, I I, I guess it was a space where I, I my imagination just could go white, right, and I I I reveled in traveling to different places and that. Countries that you try and own different 
personas, meeting different people. So I'm standing, you know, as a five, six, seven year old in my bedroom looking at this mirror and I can see myself. But when I look in it and when I remember this so clearly, I spoke to my customers uh, in the shop. I spoke to the librarians. I was, well, you know, we, I'd role played constantly. And that, and I would, I even remember writing on the inside. My mum told me off for this in pen, writing on my books because it, I was taking in books to the library, binds on them and, and later extending them because it's a really good I just, I just think that was such, you know, looking back, such a great space where I was really, it was contained and safe, mm. but I could just experiment and be really free to do it, let my imagination make whatever I wanted a reality. And I, I think that is the magic of play, right? Because you get to go into this flow and see where it takes you and have a lot of fun with it. Yeah. Mm. Wow. I love a path that the mirror was your kind of portal, your window to other worlds and you're reflecting back yeah. to yourself and you're in the power of your own imagination, which I know is something we'll get on to. Thank yeah. you so much for sharing that memory. It's fantastic. The Paddington Bear curtain's definitely sticking in my mind. <laughs> Big Paddington Bear fans here. Yeah. Fantastic. So although you've worked primarily on growing children's brands like Ella's Kitchen, which we can talk about later, and in more creative agency spaces, I know you've also worked in more corporate environments. So it would be great to hear a little bit about generally how you've helped those less obviously playful companies to benefit by using the qualities that we're going to go into in your in your framework. So just generally, how has your view on play informed your work with these more traditional organizations? Uh, so it's a great question. And I think it's the thing about uh, being playful at work is that ability to access your playful nature. So... And a lot of the, the only real difference between being a kid's brand or a, 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 or a corporate environment, the difference is the, the kid's brand environment simply has greater permission. So you, by default, you feel like you can and you're allowed to, perhaps. Whereas in, in a, a more corporate environment, there might be a, a, a different culture depending on the nature of the product or service that the business is offering that just maybe is an, what I'd think of as an extra barrier to being playful and unlocking the potential of what play can do for the business. So I think mm -hmm. that, that the nugget for me is looking at it through the eyes of the child taking those characteristics and being able to go back and make that connection. We've all been children. We all know how to, how, how to open up and harness that. And I think it's about companies and organizations from the top sh sh showing and leading by example how to be in that flow and welcoming playfulness into the workplace and allowing, therefore, that kind of cathartic, Oh, I can breathe. I've got permission to do this to then flow because from it, we see better communication happens. The atmosphere at work is just a little bit lighter, a little bit more content, a little bit more relaxed. Quite often as adults, we treat everything and ourselves a little bit too seriously and, and sometimes being reminded that actually it's okay to laugh and take, take a beat and be real and bring our whole selves and vulnerabilities to the 
workplace as well as this professionalism. So I think it's about opening up environments and spaces for that so that people can experience it and therefore benefits from, you know, greater willingness to collaborate, cooperation is greater, relationships develop deeper connections, they grow stronger, uh, teamwork and results flow from it. You know, it's, it, 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 to me, it's this no-brainer. It's just, un- it's like a magic key, I think. It leads to better staff retention because people know what they're doing at work. They feel seen, they feel valued, they see, they feel heard, and you know, general well-being and happiness is 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 a result play. So, those companies that have embraced it, I, I, that I've worked with, have seen great results. There are environments where bigger organisations perhaps have put in you know, creative spaces for this, which is fantastic. You know, they've big IT company that I'm thinking of and they've got this super ping pong table. They've got a a a, a snooker a, a table, pool table, a massage chair. They, they've even got a, a, a ping, like a, what's the arcade machine to use it? <laughs> Those in the corner, like they've decked it out fantastically, and they're in this wonderful green open space environment. Great to a uh, great fresh air and lighting. So they've ticked what I would say lots of hygiene factor boxes. But I I do feel that sl- is a great first step, but it is also a bit of tokenism because t- to really get the results and really open permission. You need to embed it in your culture because otherwise it's go play in that space and then come back to your desk and do the real work. And that is not, that is not the answer. The, the, it's about making it part of your meetings, your culture, your banter with each other and the whole, the, you know, the whole DNA of the organization. Yeah. That's where the magic is. Absolutely. So as I mentioned before, you, you've identified over the course of your, of your career and your work to date. 10 key qualities that make up your child's lens on business framework. I'll definitely work on, you've got a much better name for that framework than me, but that was what I was thinking. It's kind of, if you were to apply the child's eyes or look through them, when you're looking at a a big, serious organization, what what are the qualities that you'd be bringing as that child? And to, to rattle through those now, one, harness the power of your own imagination. Two, be confident. Three, be creative. Four, dive right in. Five, never give up. Six, get noticed. Seven, be honest and true to yourself. Eight, show your feelings. Nine, have fun. And ten, involve others. Which is a pretty awesome list, I have to say. And I would love to dive deep into all of them. And I know we don't have time, sadly, to get into all of them in detail. So, it would be great to just to focus on a handful of those and, and really unpack those with you. So I guess perhaps we could start linking back to your lovely dressing table, window, mirror, imagination, power. Let's go to kind of harnessing the power of our own imagination. So how have you really brought that quality to life working with organisations? Well, what, one thing that I've loved doing that has brought the power of imagination to life in a, re, in a really, cor- typically in a very more traditional corporate office environment is the idea of a hat box. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it can, just can be a tub. I know, I know loads and loads of different hats in it is what you need, lots of variety. 
And the the idea is to kickstart a meeting, whether it's a, a challenge or a brainstorm meeting or or anything really. It can work. It can work in any any setting. It's really versatile, which is why I love it. But ultimately, you everybody chooses a hat. They put it on. They've got to keep that hat on for five or ten minutes. You know, you decide. So in a forty minute meeting, you might wear eight hats. You might wear four hats. But the idea is that it's this fabulously quick fire and paciness and every time you take on a new role when you put on your new hat and this boils down to yes it's playful but it's all actually about giving people permission to think and say things that they wouldn't usually say or do in that setting so it's getting rid of some of that clunky armor or expectations as as an adult that we we are often predisposed to sort of locking ourselves in well yeah absolutely and what I'm thinking when you're saying that is the word mask often comes up to me in, t- in terms of how we show up yeah. at work we kind of have a professional mask and we we know what the parameters are and we know what the conduct should be and we kind of put that on and what's really interesting there is this is actually putting something really physical on but it's serving a freeing purpose as opposed to a kind of masking purpose yeah it's almost wit like allowing you to yeah yeah so from this mask you're right because it is like there's a certain conditioning of how we think we should behave at work mm-hmm. you're, you're completely right and I think this is so for example you could pick out the cowboy hat and put it on and and it's really freeing because you're like you said it's like well like I'm the cowboy and I'm going to approach it like we do in the wild west jungle in the wild west isn't it there's no real rules you can stay and do as you want everyone's in it to win it you know the cowboys beat the indians and and there's this you know they want to win the shit out or uh, at the end so what what that allows you to do is you don't need to worry any longer about being embarrassed or you know trying to protect your reputation or your image and that that sort of stuff hinders creativity. So, mm-hmm. so you're you're now in the wild west, and you can approach it from this point of view, and it will bring all sorts of other thoughts into the room, which is great. Or there's a jester's hat. I love the jester's hat. Mm-hmm. That subtle idea of like, hey, we can approach this by, you know, how we do it in the royal court. You know, I'm here to be silly and entertain you. That is, that is the role that I'm taking on, and it allows people to be as silly as they like and I'd like to think of that's how maybe Elon Musk and his team approach building the Tesla yeah so you know to me that they just reinvented that model didn't they not only did they create an electric car that could take you from A to B in style it 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 was so much more than that because they took this playful approach and you can see loads of those 10 qualities that you listed from a child's perspective really shining through when you look at the Tesla. So they've got the whoopee cushion, which the kids love that button. They big and big and little kids and us love that. There's the light show that the car does. It's got karaoke. It's got a racing computer game. I mean, they basically threw out robots of car manufacturing altogether. And it wasn't just the brief wasn't, oh, we've got to do an electric car that looks good. They embraced their playful side it's much more fun it's got broader appeal it's got talkability 
you know, you look at Tesla's growth and value sales and, you know, it's a, a very great evidence of landing a really fast start on the, on the road, isn't it? Absolutely. Let's, let's go to number two, the being confident. So again, how have you brought that to life and channeled that quality? But being confident through the eyes of, you know, how children would approach it is, is all about how they make their mind up and they're decisive with their decisions but they also really listen to their instincts and keep things simple and I think again in the workplace we are really good as adults at overcomplicating and overthinking and analyzing things to death because we are looking for I guess a right decision quite often right whereas if you you look at children especially toddlers you know they're super confident in in how they uh, approach things they're so much more carefree in their decision making and if we can bring some of that carefreeness into the workplace we can realize like like a toddler would climb a climbing frame to get to the top which is their goal for that particular objective they there's like hundreds of different ways to get up to the top and and it's not linear necessarily so I think organizations are often afraid of failing in the way that children aren't children I mean my children often say me to fail is the first attempt in learning and I love that I'm like oh that's such a good because that mindset allows you to experiment it allows playfulness you're no longer afraid to start something mm. and make a decision, right? Whereas um, I think in the workplace, often we're balancing minimizing risk because it can be expensive and, and we've got to justify things to to the board or, or, or to the powers that be. So I, I think it's, again, a little bit about mindset and helping helping businesses having a culture where you start to stop pretending that there's a right answer and that make up your mind and have the decisiveness, I guess, of the child and commit to that decision. And letting our instincts play a bigger part because although there's lots of data and information, ultimately it'll always be either out of date or it will be imperfect, incomplete. Mm -hmm. And so how do, how do you go back to the simplicity of how a child would do it and there's two games that I would tend to encourage businesses that I've worked with to play. And one is just a really simple, either explain it to your granny or mm -hmm. explain it to your child. So it's that, you know, tell your granny in two minutes what it's about. And that helps you. You, you then ditch the jargon, you ditch all the complexities, and you actually focus on the core of what it's about, right? So I think that that can be a helpful game. And it just, the other game though that I, I prefer and we do quite a lot in our house is um, decide, make a decision as a team or you know, at work and then toss the coin. So I've decided we're going to go for it. If it's heads, we're going for it. If it's tails, we're not going to go for it. Let's, let's let the coin decide, flip it. And if it's tails, and you're disappointed, you know, mm. know that you definitely, it reaffirms the decision or if you get that 
it's heads and you're going for it, then it's that, oh no, but I didn't want it to be. Yeah. And it helps you reconnect with your instincts because your gut, your gut reaction tells you a lot. And quite often we're just so out of sync with Mm. how we feel inside and how we want, how we want the decision to be. So I think, I think that's a really fun and playful way to kind of sense check things and be confident in decisions with the backdrop of, you know, there is no right answer, but it's better to make one and move forward towards the overall goal than than be frozen and taking a, a long, long time. Where, yeah, I love, I love what you're doing with those games and those examples you're sharing with us now because you seem to be really exploring the tension between being confident, having conviction in what you're doing, being very connected to your gut, making decisions and moving on, but also really holding those things lightly and knowing that there isn't one right way. So maybe the decision you made is not the single right decision, but it's having your conviction while still being able to hold things lightly and not not hold on to them so tightly and and fixate on them as the single path of action so that because that's not an easy balance to find I think sometimes if you're holding things lightly then are you sort of flim flamming around and not committing to something and you're not saying that so it's a really interesting yeah line to to dance on agree it is and, and not an easy one and it's it's yeah. It's important, I think, in in that work environment to be able to have spaces and, and, and time where you do reflect on the past three months, you know, mm-hmm. what worked really well, what things didn't work so well and how would we do it differently next time, you know, and, and learn from all of these things as you're going as a part of it, which I know many organizations would do, but quite often it's done in in bigger, more rigorous, formal yeah rather than touching in on a monthly basis team and go right let's stay nimble and quick and reactive and instinctive yeah I, I think just in the general drive to deliver meet targets set that good pace it feels like moments to pause and reflect the first things that go as well and yeah. we miss out so much on on those moments of, of reflection let's go to number three being creative and how a toddler can can bring some qualities that we can embody in the workplace and being creative. Yeah. So this this one is, as I think, perhaps the easiest for people to tap into because creativity, you know, m- maybe people enjoy, you know, music or art, and it's it's uh, we're all we are all creative in in some way, right? Whether it's writing poetry or etc. But I think with this framework what we're looking at is about through you know learning again through the children and how they would approach things it would be about challenging conventions and trying different strategies playing and exploring it kind of goes without saying but really living in that now which again for organizations it it can it can be harder to do because like you've just said they're so focused on the goals and the projects and and deliverables quite often so i think there's you know there's many many ways we can unlock creativity but the first and most important for me is just making sure we're all asking the right questions and and not getting stuck and trapped in that regular routine that we have so there's it two very tiny things that i I love and can and can unlock a different atmosphere and and spark in people 
is, and again, this is a, a, an IT company that I know have, have adopted this and do this regularly, where they start a meeting whereby you can only share your ideas through drawings. So you don't, you know, they, everybody's like, okay, this is today's challenge. This is what we're going to work on. And everyone's got like, you know, three minutes, five minutes, and then you're all presenting your drawing. But it's, it, again, that taps back to keeping it simple, you know, ditching the jargon, all of, all of what we've just spoke about really in confidence. But I think that's a really good way to, to go back to basics. But another one that I absolutely love is little random boxes of Lego with not many bricks in them. So like a li- one that's got, say, red and yellow bricks, one that's got brown bricks in it. And everybody takes, t- you know, take six or take 10, you know, give, give the instruction of how many. And then you've got 30 seconds or 60 seconds to make a duck, make a dog. And it's wonderful watching everyone who's come into the room, who's, you know, still thinking about the last meeting, not quite stressed about, you know, something that they're doing later in the day, not quite present in the room, sorry, because they're thinking about other things. Mm. And you'll see them holding it and thinking, you know, some people are, they just don't start it. They've only got 60 seconds and they don't start building because they're like, how do I make the duck? out of these six pieces, what's it to look like? And they're looking around at other people because they think there's a a right answer. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can you can feel that procrastination. And then other people are just like, you know, building it. It it looks nothing like a duck. (laughs) And then you've got some people that are in the middle and it, you know, they've given it a good go and it looks semi-duck-like. But the point of the exercise is that everybody's ducks or dogs look completely different. Mm -hmm. There is no right or wrong answer. They've they've been in the moment and focused on something that stopped them thinking of all the other things that they brought into the room. And the idea is ditching that and having renewed energy, basically, and mm. renewed atmosphere to unlock creativity. So it's those using those little tools that I I think are interrupt your regular routine. Mm. Um, is really important. People aren't creative or not creative. And, you know, we sit in parts of organizations that might not be deemed creative or entire industries, which might not be deemed creative, but right. it's within us all. And it's about inviting that out and encouraging that in each other and rather than sort of opting out or opting in. So I love, exactly. I love that anecdote. Okay. On to one of my favorites on the list. It's not to be the favorite, but get noticed. Yeah. So tell me more about that quality. Yeah, so get get noticed. I like this one too because it's very like if we it's all about listening first. You know, toddlers, uh, children they they watch and they learn and then they get involved. So it's listen first and speak second, and use the skills you have and make yourself heard and ask for help when you need it. And you know, toddlers and children do that in abundance. And as adults, I think we lose that skill because we want to blend in and fit in more than we often want to get noticed as, as a whole in the, in the workplace. So I think if you think of how a toddler might come into a room, they don't come in with any protective armor on. There's no mask wearing, is there? They, they are so themselves wholeheartedly. They make themselves seen, heard and noticed. Like they love it. They love the attention. Um, they don't care if it's not working their way. They'll stamp their feet. They'll shout. They'll scream. 
to make you falling on the floor. And I'm not suggesting we behave like that at all, obviously. But I do think we need to learn to be more ourselves because they are totally themselves in how they been. And there's ways if we can embrace being ourselves and then work that into how do we get that, you know, how do we build and getting noticed and to say whether it's building our sales strategy or creating our culture. But for me, it could be, you know, personally, how I like to get noticed is by maybe how I would dress at work or talk more informally. So for for me, it it can be this whole how you, you know, talking more informally, being a bit more relaxed in how you approach people and and being a bit friendlier and, you know, letting that, welcoming people in so it feels less intimidating. So I dress that I used to love wearing. It's it's really colourful. It's a teal dress. It's a lovely jersey fabric. It's got Japanese dolls all over it. It's very, very cute. Um, very playful. It's three massive buttons on the collar. But when I when I put that dress on, I instantly feel great and I feel really playful. I feel fun and I feel like I'll approach the day slightly differently than mm. if I like sit for example so I think you it can be what you're getting noticed and it, and it'll all be different for everybody but trying to get out what part of you are you going to bring to work and feel really comfortable about embracing you know and for some people it might be baking cakes or it could mm-hmm. be all sorts of things right but it it's that creating talkability and and connections with people through things that are different to hi how was your day how was your weekend did you sleep last night how was the traffic like you know all the boring mundane like how are we talking about this stuff and and making it a little bit more personal absolutely no I love it so you mentioned just now about your your amazing work at Ella's Kitchen and I would love to hear a little bit about that. I, I know you've shared the the values with me and I'd love you to share to share them on this conversation as well. But what I'd love to really get into is how did you actually live them as a for-profit business? So I know one of the values was carefree, which sounds great. But then how did you also hit targets or manage difficult conversations? So so how do you reconcile those two things? Yeah, it's a it's really good question. And it, it is all about balance and 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 getting it right. So the the five values we had was that we were childlike, we think differently, we're good to each other, we want to win, and we're business minded. So they were they were very balanced, and we had, I guess, we're childlike and we think differently was depicted by like a, a fun beach ball and the thinking differently with lots of different colorful hats. So the culture was balanced and it wasn't skewed to being frivolous and playful. Ah, uh, I have so many more questions I want to ask, but perhaps in our last minute or two, you could share any tips or tricks or little exercises that you've seen work really well that a listener could take away and use kind of in isolation to introduce a little bit of play into their organization yeah there's there's probably there's probably a couple too that i'd love to share with yeah. where it has been like a great vehicle for 
icebreaking, I suppose, in in the business environment where it's created deeper connections and and, and friendships on the way. So there was this this does go back to a game. Well, if I put it in context of when I think it it worked really 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 well for us was Ella's Kitchen had just been sold to Hain Celestial in America. So the brand team, me and a, a few others in the business, went over as part of the leadership team to train um, and give a great brand induction to our new owners of the brand. And you know, we've come from a little barn in in, in the UK. And they have, they're on the US stock market and they're in a big office in New York. And we were in this big boardroom and there's 20 odd people. Very few people know each other. You've got two organizations coming together and it can be a bit nerve wracking and intimidating. So the a game that I love to play and I've played in so many organizations but this is the one that stuck out because it really revealed a lot and fast-tracked us to getting to know each other was telling it's it's the two truth and one lie game so it's three things about yourself it's a lot of fun everyone got involved and it's really surprising what you learn right and you it, it helps you laugh it helps you make that connection the brain waves going and and the good stuff can and can follow as those neural pathways light up. So rather than coming in and starting the meetings and say, you know, hi, my name's Nicole. I'm responsible for brand and marketing. I've worked here for this many years, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and it's everybody's forgot everything by the time the table, uh, has, everyone's had their turn. So this lie game is a great way to remember people's names or at least the surprising thing they do you like to play it. Oh my goodness, go for it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So which one is is a lie and what have I done? So there'll be one lie in this. Okay. So uh, I've beaten Dame Kelly uh, Holmes at curling in Sainsbury's head office when Sainsbury's was the official England supermarket. And I've danced on stage with Vanilla Ice to Ice Baby Dubai. At the purple race on the beach when I was a teenager at school there. And I played chess with the world champion. I used to love chess. I was in the chess club at school. And I only just lost against Wow. So two of those things are true and one is false. Yeah. I think the chess is true and the Dame Kelly beating her is true. But Vanilla Ice, sadly not true. I love it. Vanilla Ice is true. Wow. Check out. And so is Dane Kelly Holmes. So the chess thing, sadly, not true. Okay. Although I was in the chess club at school, but I didn't I didn't play a play a world champion. <laughs> I think that is a really great game that anybody can play in any organization, even if play isn't a very big part of that. Yeah. Game. Well, thank you for for the game I think it's really nice how also you're inviting three whereas I had that dreaded question tell me something interesting yeah, tell us something interesting about you it's like right I've got to pick one thing that is going to be deemed interesting by other people I mean nothing feels less painful to me it's like oh my goodness whereas just being like yeah three random things you might not know about me too too true too one false it's just so much more freeing so so I love that I don't want to draw this conversation to a close but alas we must. But thank you so much, Nicole, for 
all your memories, your anecdotes, your examples, your games, your insights. It's been such a wonderful conversation. So thank you for your time and keep up the great work. So, so much. I've really enjoyed being on and I I hope that your listeners try some of these out and, and start being more playful at work. Absolutely. So Lucy, listening back on our conversation with Nicole, what did you notice? Yeah, so I loved the what she said about play as being a vehicle for connection. That really struck me and that's definitely something that really is true for me about play. Like I know when I'm in a playful frame of mind, I'm automatically more connected with my surroundings, with the people near to me, with my child, with my colleagues. Like it really is a very connecting state of being. Yeah, absolutely. I think reflecting on the conversation, for me, it really bridged the gap between the lovely childlike qualities that are often associated, with play. Mm. not childish, but childlike qualities that really spring to mind when you talk about bringing playful ways of working and the gap between that and the more traditional business environments that we can find ourselves in. Mm. And it just, as I say, really bridged that gap between how can we weave those childlike playful qualities into those environments in a way that feels kind of really tangible, not easy to do, but kind of feels realistic in those environments whilst bringing in those lovely childlike qualities. She just did a great job for me in, in bridging that gap. Yeah, yeah. And nice language, really nice, accessible principles. Yeah, I completely agree. What else, what struck you as you were chatting? Yeah, and I, I loved her ponderings on the kind of role of playful environments and this idea of kind of props and environments and items around us that can either encourage play or not. And when she was talking about um, how in some offices, you know, organizations have created sort of playful areas and that, you know, is that intended to be liberating of playfulness or is it actually a way, she says, of, of saying, go away and, you know, do your play there and then come back and do the real work. So when we think about creating playful environments with sort of visual signifiers of playfulness, is that really actually containing playfulness and designating it only as appropriate in those places? Mm. And I wonder if that kind of perversely delineates even more strongly between doing the work and, and playing. So I was kind of pondering on that. But then when she was speaking about the hat box game, and I was thinking, maybe that's the case, because if we use these items and these props, they can actually become really freeing. That hat game can really give people license and permission to come up with different approaches and different lenses when playing different roles. So yeah, there was something for me to ponder around this idea of the role of environments and props and items. Yeah, and maybe then is it contextual? Because the 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 box of hats, which I loved that idea, um, is in a meeting room, whereas the ping pong table is like in the bit outside where we do the social bit. So maybe there's like a it contextual about where we have these props, like are they within the working space or are they within the play space? And maybe we can look at ways of mixing that up. Yeah, but what else came up for you? I loved that I, that anecdote she told about the mirror, her Paddington Bear dresser, <laughs> and the mirror as a portal to her, you know, imaginative games as a child. And then it, it got me thinking like, oh, what are the portals for us as adults? Like, are there artifacts or people or places that automatically ignite our playfulness and she she spoke I think it was about a dress that she put on that kind of bring you know about being noticed and that sounded like maybe that was a kind of adult portal and then I was thinking just like what are my portals to playfulness so yeah that was really interesting 
Yeah, I completely agree that the the dress itself really struck me too in terms of just choosing, as I say, it could be a different portrait for different people, but how choosing even what you wear can send a playful signal, you know, to your own brain. Um, but also that that signal to, to others that you're kind of giving off that that playfulness through, as you say, the kind of artifacts and of that work and you think about it, because an artifact can be can be anything. Um but yeah, I think just overall the kind of little exercise of little tips and tricks that she was bringing there to kind of interrupt our regular routines mm-hmm. to renew energy in just when you think about the sort of normal rhythm of meetings and how you can come into one and you're thinking about something else, you know, what's happened earlier in the day, really present. You know, how can we um just interrupt that, have a yeah. really kind of playful intervention that feels actually really, really doable. These weren't huge time takers that yeah. need, you know, a certain certain people to facilitate. They felt really doable and really in the spirit of kind of easy experimentation, which I loved. Yes, yes, absolutely. I thought, and she had a whole plethora of those at her fingertips, it seemed. And I, especially the Lego one where she was just like, build a dog. You know, there was just literally that like, get out of your, seri- you know, your, your monkey mind and focus on the dog. Um, I thought that was really cool. And then also the, the I love the example she gave of the of Tesla mm-hmm. embracing their playful side. And I hadn't really thought about that one because I haven't really been in a Tesla much. But um, I just thought how brilliant to weave that playfulness into a consumer product. Um, the whoopee cushion and the lights and the karaoke. And like, yeah, why do these things have to be boring? Why can't they be playful? I thought, woo, that sounds fun. Absolutely. And kind of who, who wouldn't want that? Like, how can that not delight you? Yeah. I mean, it's going to give my son, who's desperate for a Tesla, even more fuel. <laughs> That's <laughs> genuine listen to the conversation. Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, please do rate and review as it really helps us to reach other listeners. We're releasing episodes every two weeks So do hit subscribe to ensure that you don't miss out on more playful inspiration. Don't forget, you can find us at www.whyplayworks.com or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to join our growing community of people united by the idea of play at work, you can sign up to the Playworks Collective on our homepage. If you have any ideas for future episodes, topics you'd love to hear about, guest suggestions or questions about the work we do with organisations, we'd love to hear from you. Your feedback really matters to us, so please drop us a line at hello at whyplayworks.com. We'll be back in a fortnight with a brand new guest and we hope you'll join us then.